Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Grace City Church podcast. If you would like more info on our church, you can visit gracecityboston.com. Now let's get to the sermon. Good morning. For those of you who haven't got a chance to meet, my name's Ryan. I'm going to be reading from the book of James, uh, chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 15. James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve uh, tribes dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting. For the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation, but let the rich boast in his humiliation, because he will pass away like a flower of the field. For the sun rises, and together with the scorching wind, dries up the grass, its flower falls off, and its beautiful appearance perishes. In the same way, the rich person will wither away while pursuing his activities. Blessed is the one who endures trials, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God, since God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. The word of the Lord this morning. Hey, good morning. Uh, my name is Ryan. If I don't know you, I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, I do want to say just something on the front end before we kind of dive into, um, before we dive into our text. I know that uh, obviously we're all navigating this kind of new season of uh, COVID. I don't know if you guys knew, but COVID was a thing. And so um, we're, we're all kind of navigating this season. And, and so we're, we're kind of closely following along with uh, with CDC, with um, Massachusetts as well, and just kind of that whole process. And so as we kind of hear things as a church, as we kind of receive uh, insight into, you know, uh, masks, no masks, all those kind of things, uh, we'll continue to kind of follow uh, the, the city's uh, lead on that. And, uh, and so thanks for your patience on that as we just kind of, obviously we're all navigating this process together, trying to um, uh, trying to figure this season out. So, but it's good news, right? We're, we're, we are progressing towards a type of, of normalcy, which all of us are, uh, all of us are desirous of um, in that. And so, uh, as Haley said, uh, we're starting into uh, a new series uh, called Practical Faith. And so, uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn to James uh, chapter one. James is in uh, the New Testament after all of the gospel, um, after all of the gospel accounts and after many of Paul's letters and, uh, and Peter's letters uh, as well. And so we've entitled this series, uh, maybe you've already said, but we've entitled this series um, Practical Faith. And so re- really for the next eight weeks or so, uh, we're going to spend our time kind of walking through uh, a very practical, very straightforward, and the very convicting book of James. If you've ever spent any time uh, in the book of James, you know exactly uh, what I'm talking about. And, and so here's kind of the perspective that I want you to have um, as you're kind of thinking about this series. And so sometimes when you are in a sermon series or when you're in a uh, Bible study, maybe you have your own kind of personal Bible study that you're doing, uh, sometimes it's almost like you're in an airplane and you're flying over the city. 
And so you're, you're kind of seeing big themes, you're seeing big narratives, you're kind of seeing big kind of uh, thoughts and topics as they relate to your Christian discipleship. That is one way to study the Bible. It's one way to kind of read, um, uh, read through and grow in your Christian discipleship. And so that, that's one way. But the book of James, if, we, if we're keeping this kind of uh, city metaphor, the book of James is like being on the street. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's not so much looking at big themes and big narratives and big topics. It's really on the ground, on the street, looking at very practical, very straightforward, very kind of direct uh, uh, insights into our Christian discipleship. So a lot of the things that we're going to read over the next uh, eight weeks together, uh, you, you read it and you're like, oh, okay. Like there's, there's, there's ways to kind of flesh these things out, um, but it's also a great book. Uh, it's an incredible book to just kind of simply sit in and look at these particular topics that we're going, um, that we're going to be uh, looking at. And, and essentially, um, he's kind of talking through, um, uh, he's talking through our Christian discipleship. I mean, this is what he's, his, James' interest really, if you, as we kind of get into it, is he's basically helping us see how do we navigate our Christian life together? How do we build Christian community together? while understanding the, the, the implications of suffering and trials, while understanding the power of our tongue, while looking at what, what does it look like for favoritism to exist in the church and the danger of it? What's the role of scripture? What's the role of faith? What's the role of prayer? This is all James's book is about. He's looking at these very practical, very on the ground uh, kind of implications on how we walk into our Christian community together. Now, James in and of himself, if you don't know much about James, James is actually the brother of Jesus, uh, if you didn't know that. And as you can imagine, this process from moving, I, I don't know, uh, how many of you have siblings? Okay, yeah, we can play along this morning. All right, so um, siblings, right? Can you imagine moving from viewing your brother as brother to moving from your brother as Messiah? This is who James is. Like, this is, this is a part of James' story, right? James actually, if you study the New Testament, James becomes this kind of leader in the uh, New Testament church, in the first century church, in the Jerusalem church. Uh, he becomes this incredible kind of movement leader that really his brother, Jesus, started. And then he helps continue to carry on this movement. In James' life alone, What's so interesting is his life alone is, is really a, a strong kind of apologetic to a resurrected Messiah. Because, I don't know, I, I have an older brother. Uh, I don't know if, if you're older or younger. Uh, being the baby's awesome, and I'll just say that out loud. Uh, but I have an older, older brother, and if my older brother came to me and said, hey, by the way, I'm the Messiah, I'm the king of the world, everything was created through me and by me and for me, and I was in the beginning, right? If your brother or sister said that to you, you would put them away, right? So what would, what, what would essentially cre make James change as an individual? It would be what? It would be a resurrected Messiah. It would be seeing Jesus say that he's going to rise from the dead and him actually doing it. And so James alone is a very interesting um, individual and leader inside uh, of the church. But let's kind of dive into uh, let's kind of dive in what we're going to be looking at this morning. And I'll just kind of say on the front end, um, what we're looking at this morning is extremely relevant. It's extremely helpful and not a lot of fun to read about. It's not. 
Like, I doubt anyone walked into the room this morning and thought, man, what a beautiful, wonderful day it is outside. The sun's shining. It's, man, we're just kind of feeling this joy in the air. And you walk in, sit down, and we're looking at suffering and trials this morning. Like, nobody wants to hear that message. You, you just don't. But the, the reality is, right, there's probably three groups of people in the room uh, this morning. You're either someone who, when you hear trials and suffering, maybe you're, like, maybe right now you're in the midst of it. And so you hear this, and you do what? You lean in. You're like, oh, I need to hear this. I'm actually feeling the, the difficulty of trials and suffering right now. And you're like, I need to hear this. I need it. Or, or maybe there's a, a second group of people where you're, you're kind of coming out of trials and suffering and difficulty, right? I mean, I think we could all collectively probably fit in the second category, with COVID, right? I mean, all of us feel like, hopefully feels like we're kind of coming out of, walking out of a very kind of difficult season in our life. And then there's a third group of people, right? So you've got some that are in suffering currently and in trials. You've got some that maybe are, are kind of moving out of that. And then you've got a third group that are moving into trials and sufferings and don't even know it. You don't even know it. I mean, even, even this week, we received a phone call from a friend and, uh, good friends of ours, and, and their, their neighbor, uh, she was late 20s, early 30s, uh, two young kids, husband, uh, brain aneurysm, gone. Two hours. Life changed. Two hours. Dad's world, whole, whole world rocked. Two hours. And I was just thinking about that, and I was considering our, our topic this morning, I was thinking, man, the role that suffering and trial plays in the life of the, of the believer is a significant thing. And I think in a lot of ways, this is, why, um, this is why James opens his book with this. If he's interested in our Christian discipleship, what a better place to start than the role of suffering and trials in the life of, um, in the life of, a, in the life of a believer. And so what we're looking at here uh, I think is relevant for all of us, right? All of us have, have or are going to experience brokenness, separation, death, uh, disappointment, right? We're all going to potentially hear our position was cut, the, the prognosis is bleak, a loved one has died, she or he doesn't love you anymore. Um, this is what we walk into. This is what we have to reconcile our Christian life with. And this is, this is the thing. And here's the shocking part. Here's what we're going to see in James chapter 1. The shocking part is James is actually going to say, the isolation, the loneliness, the death, the suffering, and the trial actually plays a significant positive role in your Christian development and discipleship. He's going to actually say it, it actually is, is going to work uh, for you. Okay, so let's look at it. James chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 2. James 1, uh, verse 2. Here's what he says. He says, Consider it great joy, which sounds like a ridiculous statement to start out, right? I mean, if you're any, if you're any like author or teacher, like, don't start out with that statement. Because what follows needs to be, consider it great joy when you get a raise, right? <laughs> consider it great joy when you find someone that loves you, you know? Consider it great joy when you find a wonderful flat white, right? This is all the things that he should say, but that's not what he says. Verse two, it says, consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, verse three, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance 
and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Okay, so let's work through this together. Now, notice that he says on the very front, and he says, uh, whenever. He does not say, if you experience trials and sufferings. He says, whenever you experience trials and sufferings. It is inevitable. So he says, so when you do. Not if you do. When you do, when you do, consider it great joy. This is why. Um, this is why any pastor, preacher, or teacher who, who's ever told you to leave your troubles behind and, and come to Jesus, right, that, that, that come to him, lay these things behind, come to Christ, and all your, all your troubles will disappear, they'll all be over, your family issues will end, right, come to Christ and your marriage will be fixed, come to Christ and your financial stress will end, right, these statements are fundamentally incorrect. They're incorrect. If anything, when you say yes to Jesus, you're saying yes to a whole nother host of problems and troubles and, and potential for difficulty and suffering. It's why any, any gospel that would be preached to you or any lesson that would be taught to you that would say, come to Jesus and all your troubles will disappear and go away is wrong. It's actually bad for you. And it would actually, if that was true, would actually be a bad thing. Yeah, it, it would be a, a bad thing. Now, one of the things that you'll notice uh, at the beginning of James' letter, this is in James chapter 1, um, it sa- or James chapter 1, verse 1, uh, it says that he's writing to those who've been dispersed, those who've been kind of spread out, those who were scattered um, all throughout the uh, first century here in this poor, this particular area that he's writing to. And, and in some ways, kind of our modern, I would say in our modern and kind of privileged Christian uh, life um, uh, has kind of hurt us, right? The, the kind of, especially in the West, because we live in the West, we, we kind of live in an environment, right, where, um, where we have a lot of privileges and opportunities. Privileges and opportunities that the early church would not have had. They wouldn't even have dreamt of having. I mean, can we just, let's just take a second. Like, just look around. Let's look around for a second. This is the one moment where you shouldn't look at me. Kind of look around, you know, look at this space, right? I don't, there's, not sure the theme here, but there's like a, there's certainly a, a type of theme in this place, right? We have lights and air condition and a stage and you know everything that we need, right? The scriptures here. You, you know what we're not worried about? We're not worried about the Boston PD busting in the door to come get us, are we? We're, we're not concerned that they're going to come in and drag us out of here, and and confiscate our Bibles and take them, burn them, remove them. No, no, like if anything, we live in a culture, especially here in the West. Now, there are places where we have brothers and sisters who are living in hiding. Right? I mean, in Asia, the gospel is like exploding on the scene. The, the underground church is, there's explosive growth that is happening. It's incredible. In, in, in remote parts of Africa, it's exploding. The gospel is blowing up in the midst of persecution and difficulty that the church is growing so the gospel is not scared of it it's not scared of suffering and trials but in some ways as we sit here in the west it, it can hurt us now i'm not listen i'm not i'm not a proponent of man i wish things would get harder you know like i don't want to be dragged off the stage 
It's not what I'm saying, but I am saying there needs to be a certain awareness to how we've been shaped by our cultural moment and how it influences our Christian discipleship inside of what we're doing. And so Paul, uh, or James' letter, is writing to a group of people that are, are very different than who we are, and so it's important for us to look at. Okay, so here's the main thought. So if you're writing notes, you can write this down. Um, here's the main thought, and then we'll kind of flesh this out a little bit as we get into the book of James. So James is going to instruct us. This is what he's going to say. James is going to instruct us to embrace suffering and difficulty because why? He's going to say you should embrace it because it both does two, it does two things. It solidifies our faith and matures our discipleship. So he's going to say embrace difficulty and suffering because it's going to solidify our faith and mature our discipleship. Okay, so James 2, or James 1, 2, and 3. So he says, consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, right? And he says, whenever you experience trials, verse 3, here it is. He says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Endurance. The testing of your faith, right? So this is the part where it solidifies our faith. It's almost like this. It's almost as, as if... Um, uh, in trials, God brings your faith forward and places it on the witness stand. You get that imagery? It, it's almost like trials and difficulty. It's like they've taken your faith, dragged it into the courtroom, put it on the witness stand, and begin to question it. This is what trials and suffering does. It tests your faith. It, it, it is going to build something. It's going to create something. I mean, we see this idea in other places of the Bible. Uh, the uh, Apostle Peter, he was an early church leader in the church. Listen to what he says, something very similar. First Peter chapter 1, 6 through 7 will be on the screen. This is what he writes. He writes, you rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. So why? Verse 7. So that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which is perishable, is refined by fire, may result in what? May result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he states, he says, that you suffer grief in various trials so that the proven character of your faith may be revealed. This is, what the, this is what Peter is saying here. Now, this, this may mess with you, right? Like, if you begin to think through the implications of this, if you begin to kind of break down this concept, um, th this could really mess with you, right? Because you may could think, you could think, man, is God not interested in my safety? Is God not interested in my earthly happiness? Is God not interested in my bliss? The answer to that is yes and no. It's yes and no. And I had to, listen, sometimes you study stuff and you take the stuff that you're studying and you're going to preach it and you're like, oh, these are great concepts, this is great, you know, this information's going to be so good. I had to really sit in this thought and I had to sit in the implications of this thought that is, not, is God not for my safety, my bliss, my kind of earthly happiness? Is he not for these things? Here it is, here's the statement. He, he's not for those things, right? He's not for your safety, your earthly happiness, and your bliss. He's not for those things if those things serve as a barrier to your Christian discipleship. He will remove safety, remove bliss, remove earthly happiness 
if it is a barrier to your Christian discipleship. He will. He will. If these things put a wall between you and God, he will knock them down. He will straight up knock them down. Peter says here that the proven character of your faith, he says it's actually more valuable than gold. What was gold? It was the standard by which they set their monetary value by. And he says your, your character or your, um, your faith is actually, is actually stronger than that. But, but then he even takes the metaphor and imagery even further. And he says, hey, in the same way that gold is broke down, your faith should be broke down. The same way that your gold is refined through fire, your faith is refined through fire. Now, don't you hear that? And you're like, thanks, Peter. Thanks. Really, that was not the message I wanted this morning. But he says that these things are of value, right? We essentially want to get to a place where Job, I don't know if you know Job. Uh, I've been, I've been uh, reading through uh, the book of Job in kind of my reading plan um, every morning. And so there's four different parts of the, my reading plan that I'm reading. I think I'm like 85 days behind. Anyways, so, uh, but I'm in the reading plan. Just kind of a moment of transparency here, Ryan. So, um, but, but I'm like, can I please get past Job? You know, <laughs> like how many chapters are here, right? It's a hard book. It's a hard one. Uh, but this is, listen to what Job says. This is Job 13, verse 15. We want to get to this place, right? Where Job says with confidence, even if he kills me, I will hope in him. I will still defend my ways before him. He says, I'll put my hope in him. I, I, will, I will establish myself in him, right? I mean, this was Job, I mean, Job, like, Job essentially uh, lost everything, right? Uh, experienced a tremendous amount of suffering and brokenness, and yet still says that. Now, what does this result in? Look at verse 3 and verse 4. So James, uh, chapter 1, verse 3. So so we see that it solidifies our faith. This is what is happening. It brings it on trial. And then the second thing that it does is it matures our discipleship. It's going to make us more mature people. Look what he says in verse 3. He says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance... And then verse 4, it says, And let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So what does it mean to be mature and complete? It means you lack nothing. So he says, so James here is saying that it's producing something in you. That your trials are producing something in you. The difficulty is producing something in you. So maybe you're here this morning, and that's the only thing you need to hear. Is that the difficulty that you're in right now is producing something in you that's actually doing something that is not wasted. Maybe that's just what you need to hear this morning. That's just the place that you're in. It's man that it's not wasted. It's not wasted. Maybe the, the season of loss that you've experienced has produced something in you. The season of confusion and isolation has produced something in you. A season of questioning and doubt has produced something in you. Peter says this builds, this testing builds endurance. It, it matures us. This word endurance in the Greek means to remain under, to sit under, right? To not run away from, but to remain and to sit under under the trials and the difficulty and the suffering 
to not run from these things. It's, it's ultimately about uh, developing a type of inner peace and posture that your foundation is sure. That this is, this is what it does, that, that we can be a people, that we, can, that we can handle what comes our way, that we can walk faithfully in Christian discipleship as a people knowing that we can handle whatever comes our way, that, that, we, that we'll be able to do this, that we can be mature, that on the other side of suffering and difficulty is maturity. That's what awaits us. Now, now look what he says. Um, he says uh, to consider or to think, to regard what is happening and, and to realize that you can respond with joy. He, he's, he's saying, hey, be thoughtful here, right? I want you to, in a deliberate, kind of conscious way, take a perspective. To, to think about all this that is, is going on. Do you know what I found? Um, do you know what I found in my old age? My old age. Uh, do, do, do you know what I found that um, suffering has actually made me a better husband? It, it's made me a better dad. It's, it's made me a better friend. It, it's, suffering's actually, um, it's made me a better pastor. The, the difficulty and suffering that I've experienced in my life has actually made me a better pastor to you. Right, I mean, through these things, right, like as I've gotten older, I, I can see more clearly the, the, the trial, how the trials that I've experienced have, have influenced me, right? The, the unexpected deaths, the, the betrayals, the vocational failures, uh, my childhood that I was robbed from parental disability, um, the, the lost children, right? All of these things which I would not have chosen I would not have chosen, have developed in me something that otherwise would not have been there. I mean, let, right, so let's just talk church for a second because we're in church. We're in church. It, it's actually to your benefit that I've experienced in my life uh, a tremendous amount of brokenness and suffering. It's actually to your benefit that, 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 I, that I've had these things. I mean, I listen more closely to people. I, I, I feel with people more, right? Now, this was not something I did uh, when I was younger in my kind of younger pastorate days. I didn't do this well. But as I've matured, as I've experienced kind of suffering and trials, as I have done the intentional work of thinking about the, 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 the way trials and suffering have shaped me uh, as a kid, I'm actually a better pastor. I'm more able to connect. I'm more able to sit in it with you. To, to not offer some kind of just empty Christian kind of statement about just, just pray and all things will feel better. It, it's, it's done this, right? It's developed this in me. It, it equips you to understand yourself better. Your trials do. To, to make good decisions about yourself, to, to know your limitations, right? It, it equips you to make good decisions, right? You, you know how things work. I mean, you know the times and the seasons. You know how the human heart works. Uh, in, in other words, like your suffering, right, equips you to handle virtually everything better than you would have had not the suffering happened to you. And none of us would have asked for it. But this is what James says. He says it matures us in our Christian discipleship. 
It solidifies our faith and makes us a mature people. Suffering essentially does this. Um, it rapid charges your Christian discipleship. It rapid charges the ordinary process of Christian discipleship. This is what suffering does for us. Th this is why we can agree with Paul. Paul, early church leader, writes to the church at Rome, uh, Romans 8, 28. He says, uh, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. He also writes to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 18. He says this, he says, therefore we, we, we do not give up. We're not going to give up, even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day, right? For our momentary light affliction is what is producing for uh, in us or for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. Verse 18, he says this. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. So what is Paul saying here? He's saying that God is more interested in our affection, focus, and devotion on the unseen than on the seen, right? He's saying that there is more to life than what we can simply see or comprehend. There's a whole other realm that God is interested in. And there's something about suffering and difficulty that removes the veil from our eyes. Does it not? Doesn't it? It's like something that just removes it from us. Takes it from us. This is what, this is what James is saying. That the best way to understand how truly temporary the life is that we live is through the brokenness that we, that we get. Paul Paul, this, this early church leader, he actually highlights the role of suffering in his life. Maybe you're familiar with this. He, uh, he, says, in, um, uh, he says in 2 Corinthians ch uh, chapter 12, 7 through 10, he says, therefore, listen to what Paul says. He says, therefore, um, so that I would not exalt myself, this is uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. And listen, listen to what he says. He says, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Right? This is a serious thorn. Right? He says, a, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Why? So that I would not exalt myself. So I wouldn't exalt myself. And he goes on to say, I begged God to take it from me, and he didn't. And, and then he follows that and says, so therefore... Since I begged God to take it, he would not take the suffering and difficulty. Since he wouldn't do it. Since I'm come to realize that in my weakness, God is strong. That I will therefore boast even more in my weaknesses. So that God is even seen more strong in me. So even Paul got it. This role of difficulty and, and trials. Listen, um, 2020 was crazy difficult. Wasn't it? Was it not difficult? Yeah, you can shake your head. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe you're like, no, it was awesome. I loved it. I'm, I'm an introvert. Didn't want to talk to anybody. I'm still just kind of hanging in there, right? No, it's awful. Could it be that in 2020, God was after your, your spiritual discipleship? That he was after solidifying your faith? That he was after maturing your Christian discipleship? Could it have been that 2020 plays a significant role in that path of Christian discipleship in your life? Okay, so let's look at the rest of the text here. So James chapter 1, uh, 5 and 8. I'm going to move quick here. 
Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives it to uh, generously and ungrudgedly, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting, for the doubter is like a surging sea driven and tossed by the wind, that the person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. Here's what God knows. God knows the suffering is difficult. Like God, God gets it. Listen, Jesus is uniquely acquainted with your personal suffering. It's not far from Jesus. Your, your, your difficulty is not far from him. Paul actually tells the church uh, at Galatia in his letter to the Galatians that Jesus became a curse for us, that anyone hung on a tree is a curse. Now, if saying someone became a curse doesn't draw up the imagery of suffering and difficulty and isolation and brokenness, nothing will. And so Jesus is acquainted with your difficulty with your suffering, with your trouble, with your sadness, with the confusion. He's acquainted. Jesus gets it. God does not expect you to take on suffering and difficulty in your own strength. He, he doesn't expect that of you. I mean, the fact that Jesus... We just came out of a series looking at the life of Jesus. The fact that Jesus lived a perfect life and took on the cross and death and sin and rose in victory gives us the confidence that we have a God who does not expect us to do it on our own. That's what we get in the cross. Now, it's important, looking back at this, right, in verse 5, um, it's important here to recognize the fact that James isn't talking about wisdom in general. Maybe you've heard, this, um, maybe you've heard this, uh, this quoted before where it's like, if anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask God. Well, James isn't talking about wisdom in general here in the, in the context. He's actually talking about wisdom in the midst of suffering. This is what he's here. I mean, it's, it's, it's here in the text, right? That, that, that this, is, this is what we're talking about. I mean, we, we can tend to miss this when we're looking at the verse, right? So um, it, it's important that we understand that when we're in the suffering, we're not running from God, but we're running to him, right? What, what James says that in trials, the best thing that you can do in the midst of your trials is to assess, here it is, is to assess your emotional and spiritual state and determine what you need. That's, the, that's actually the best thing that, that you do. I mean, he, he says this, he says, now if any of you lacks wisdom, now what does that statement presuppose? It presupposes that you've considered whether you're handling your suffering well. That's what it, to, to pre, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom. Like, well, you, to, to go, hey, I'm lacking wisdom in this current trial and suffering, that, that means that you've kind of taken an inventory of how you're doing in your brokenness, how you're doing in your suffering, right? You, you've kind of taken all these things and you're saying, okay, God, I need wisdom to be able to walk through this in a way that is healthy, that is glorifying, that is life-giving, that is not destructive. So James says, assess, assess what you have. Consider whether you have the, the wisdom Think about this. Like he's saying, don't miss the fact that God's developing and, and building something in you. Don't, don't look at your trials and brokenness and ignore it, self-medicate it, self-talk it away. Man, we're great. We're great at self-medicating our brokenness. 
and suffering. And James says, no, don't, don't do that. Consider it. Determine whether you, you, you have what you have. But look on what, it, what he says here, because it gets hard in verse 6. He says, but let him, let him ask in faith without doubting. For the doubter is like a surging sea driven and tossed by the wind. Now, now, does this mean, because when I hear this, I mean, does this mean that you shouldn't have any kind of psychological uncertainty? Because if it does, we're all in trouble, right? If we're supposed to ask in faith without doubting, then that means we should have no, uh, no psychological uncertainty of whether it'll happen, we're all in trouble. We, we just, we just, we're just all in trouble. Well, what, what, you have to, what you have to understand, so you have to kind of get underneath that word, right? What that Greek word uh, essentially means. It actually means double-mindedness. And he, he kicks to it in the bottom, right? It really means to be divided in your loyalties. To be someone who, has, uh, who is splitting their, essentially splitting their time between uh, two, two camps. Right? It's essentially this thought that, right, if you're divided in your loyalties... Your, your suffering is really going to mess your world up. Like, it's going it's gonna, it's gonna to jack with you, right? I mean, uh, see, we can verbally say, here's what happens. We can verbally say, I am loyal to God, but we can actually be loyal or living for other things. It is one thing to communicate with our mouth that we're loyal to God. It's a whole other thing to take steps of loyalty every single day. And so he says, don't, don't be someone who is double-minded. Don't be someone who is giving lip service to God while their everyday journey is living for that relationship, is living for that vocational status, is living for that financial level, is living for that social position, is living for that perceived future, is living for that reputation. You see, some of you, you see, some of you in the room, here's the danger. Some of you say that you're loyal to God, but you're actually in reality living for something else. And the problem with that, hear me, the problem with that is that suffering will come and destroy your foundation. Destroy it. He'll leave you, she'll leave you. You'll lose the job. You'll lose the ability. The friend group will be destroyed by something. Jesus actually gives this really beautiful illustration uh, of two foundations. Um, this happens in Matthew chapter 7. I, I won't go there, but um, he, he kind of gives this kind of story, and he basically says, hey, you can either build your foundation on the, the sand or you can build it on the rock. He says, pick one. Build it on the sand or you can build it on the rock. And then Jesus goes on to say, that it's important to think about this because if you build it on the sand, when the storms come, when the water rises, when the suffering and trials happen, what does he say happens? He says your foundation is flooded and your house, your life goes away. But he says, he's talking to his, his listeners. He says, if you build your foundation on the rock, on me, He's like, if you build your foundation on the way of Jesus, he says, when the trials and the suffering comes, your house, your life will stand. It'll stand. And so James says, don't be double-minded. Don't, don't be divided in your loyalties. 
Now, now the reality is, here's what I think sometimes, you know what suffering does? Like maybe your house is built on, on the rock, but you still got some sand there, you know? Do you know what suffering does? And brokenness does? It comes through and it washes that away. You're like, oh, shoot. My loyalty was to something else. I, was, I wasn't fully... I wasn't fully engaged in the, the way of Jesus. This is what it does. It reveals, it reveals these things. Reveals this, these things to us. Look at, look at how he ends it here. Um, and this is so, uh, this is so good. We, we won't cover nine. Um, we won't cover nine through 11. We'll get back to that in the series in that particular part, but um, verse 12, he says, uh, blessed is the one who endures trials because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And then he continues in verse 13. He says, no one undergoing a trial should say I'm being tempted by God. Since God is not tempted by evil and he himself doesn't tempt anyone, but each person is tempted when he's drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. And then he says, don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He doesn't change. He's consistent. And by his own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we'd be a kind of first fruits of his creature. Now, here's the reality, is that our suffering doesn't always make us better people. Can we be honest this morning? (laughs) Like, it doesn't always make us better people. It is very much a reality that the way that you've responded to difficulty, suffering, and trials is to say, this is God's fault. That he doesn't love me, that he doesn't care for me. That, That you couldn't help yourself. This is what James is saying here. He's saying that is a way to live. You, you can live that way, um, and that way ultimately um, will, will lead to death. And James says, man, don't curse God in your suffering. Don't curse him in your brokenness. Don't, don't allow your suffering to make you cynical, depressed, jealous, uh, unloving. Don't, don't allow your suffering to make you a, a person obsessed with your own problems, right? Living in self-pity, thinkly, simply just thinking about yourself. He says, don't let it. Don't do it. Don't, don't allow these things. He says, don't allow your evil desires inside of you to pull you away. Our, our choices are we can respond like the Israelites did in the wilderness, right? And we can look at God and say, I blame you for everything that is going on around me. We, we can respond that way. That, that, that's an option that we have. They complained against him, believed he had abandoned them. Here's the reality. We may not can control what happens to us. Like, we may not. But we most certainly can control our response to the suffering and brokenness around us. And James says, and I'm going to close, I'm done. And James says that as you walk through these things, the reason that you can respond with joy is because he says that 
these things are solidifying your faith. They're maturing your Christian discipleship. But, but even more than that, he's saying, in the midst of all of these things, there's a God in heaven who loves you, who understands you. I mean, this is the gospel story. This is why it's good news, is that we have a God in heaven who's made himself available to us through his son. And so maybe you're here and, and, and maybe you've been walking through, um, maybe you've been walking through suffering and trials and it's exposed your foundation. Maybe you're living for some other stuff, or a career, a major, a relationship, a financial status, whatever, whatever that is for you. Maybe it's comfort. Maybe you're divided in your loyalties. Maybe this morning you need to do some work with God. You need to repent of that, confess to him.